Gospel, in the 8th chapter, we'll stand together once more for the reading of God's Word, a very short reading, we're just considering one verse, John 8 and verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that you would grant us wisdom, uh, instruct our hearts, Lord, as we've been warned and reminded not to seek counsel into others, but to look to you, Father, for you have spoken. You've spoken in these days in your Son. You've spoken in the living Word of God and the whole of these 66 books that we have before us, Lord. Instruct us now for your glory and your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A few years back, uh, wasn't that many years ago because Deborah was the only one left in the household, but we made a trip um, through Kentucky. And we stopped at Mammoth Cave. I don't know if any of you have been there. I'd encourage you. It's pretty fascinating. It's one of the largest caverns in the world. Uh, even as you tour the facility, they say, we're not even sure how big it is because there's areas that go on and on that haven't even been explored and mapped out. It's, it's a vast underground cavern, a labyrinth of caverns. And it's an easy accessible. We, we, able, we walked in and on down, and you make your way down and down and down and down. Um, way down into the ground. I don't know how far down we were, but we were in the depths of the earth. Of course, we had the services of a, a park ranger to take us on the way, and we came into a very large cavern in the earth, and there were benches. We all sat on the benches and listened to the ranger tell us about the system and so forth, and the, the cavern was lit. There were lights back out of sight and behind uh, stalactites and stalagmites and so forth, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Um, and then he said, he wanted us to put our phones away, turn out any lights you had. And he, says, he warned, he says, I'm going to turn out the lights just for a moment. It won't be long because you will find out why. Yeah, it's pretty oppressive. He said, but we'll turn out the lights for just a moment. And he said, then I'll provide light. And he turned off the lights. And children, it was so dark that it felt like it just was moving in on you. You heard you can't see your hand in front of your face. You can see anything. There was no light in that cavern at all. It was incredibly dark, absolute darkness. And then the ranger struck one single match, the little box of matches with the wood, struck it just one little flame. And it was amazing how much light that one little flame cast. Suddenly, you can see all the way to the reaches of this vast cavern, but all of a sudden you can see around, you can see the people next to you, you can see the park ranger from one little flame, from one little match. It was astonishing to see how much difference one little flame of light could make. It pushed back the darkness. It's an experience I will never forget. I'd encourage you to take of it somewhere. I mean, there's other caverns you go to. I don't know if they do that, but it's quite remarkable. So what's the connection to the text that we've just heard, John 8, 12? Well, the world is filled with darkness, spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness that is just as great and yet even more serious than the darkness that was in that cave. Uh, that darkness inside of men, as well as in every single sinner without Jesus Christ, it's in our heart. It's in our life. There's a darkness, even though men go around, they're stumbling around in the darkness without life, without hope, without Christ, and they make a mess of their lives. 
What is the difference is that every one of us in Mammoth Cave knew we were in darkness. We knew it was going to happen. We were forewarned. And we were very mindful of it. It was undeniable. And yet the great darkness, the soul-damning darkness of sin that is all around in the world, in men, women, boys, and girls, and they don't see it. They deny it. They refuse to acknowledge it. But Jesus says the light, he came to dispel that darkness and bring light to men, women, and boys, and girls. We're going to use three main headings today. Walking in darkness... And Jesus' great declaration, I am the light, and then Jesus' invitation. So begin considering walking in the darkness. We're, we want to look at darkness first. It's, a, could you say, the backdrop or the canvas uh, of which you see the light. Even as we were in that cavern, that single f- match when it was lit uh, was against all that darkness. You know, if he had left the lights on and he had struck one match... It wouldn't have made a whole lot of difference. Would it, would, it, would it have helped us see anything better? No, not really. But it's against the backdrop of darkness that we see light. Remember Genesis, the opening verses. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And God spoke. The first time we're told God spoke. And what did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke it, and immediately there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. From the beginning then, from the very first day, there has been a contrast between light and darkness. They are different, and they are distinct, and it is true spiritually as well. Without, or throughout the scriptures, these two are used, light and darkness are used uh, for instruction, to speak of uh, things we cannot actually see, spiritual realities, things that are within. God uses them. Well, this darkness is used in God's word to speak of several things. Look at some of those. It's used to speak of ignorance and folly. That is, the lack of knowledge and wisdom, the absence of truth. Isaiah, back in chapter 8, verse 20, where we were at maybe a year or so ago, the prophet says, they do not speak according to this word. It is because there is no light in them. That's reality. Apart from Christ, without new life in Christ, there's no light in you. None whatsoever. God's word uses darkness to speak also, also of uh, evil and fear. Young children, you know something about this. You know, it's bedtime and and the darkness can be frightening. We, we tend to think of the, the bad things that go bump in the night come out of the darkness. Those things that we imagine lurk in our claws that are under the beds. It's the night that they come out. And children will associate evil things with darkness and be afraid. Think about the riots that we've seen in the cities across our land over the last year. It's at night. They come out at night. And even those who are perpetrators are, are dressed in black even speaking of the darkness that's in their heart. My father once said to me when I was a young boy, boy he said, nothing good happens after midnight. <coughs> yeah, maybe we were talking about my curfew or something, but you know, there's, there's a reality to that. It's good to be at home in your bed in this night. Scripture uses darkness to speak also of misery, bondage, and death. Depression. The depression of the soul that can come upon us is referred to as a darkness. And even the dead lie in the grave where there is no light. The psalmist uses that imagery. But the darkness also is used to speak in scriptures of judgment. 
Jude writes of the judgment for the ungodly. He says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Some people imagine that hell will be a place where they'll party and you know, that they'll have their society and they'll go about the wickedness that they've enjoyed here on the earth. But no, the scripture speaks of it, a place not only of anguish, pain, but of absolute darkness. It is really a place that is hard for us to comprehend. Zephaniah speaks of the great and terrible day of the Lord. In this connection, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, Zephaniah 1.15. This darkness is what Jesus came into. The light of glory, the Son of God came into the world, the light of God came into the world, and it's against this backdrop of darkness that Jesus speaks Someone has summed it up this way, these things that I've just spoken of. Darkness consists of a lack of knowledge, ignorance, folly, and superstition. It has a moral dimension, evil and fear. It is experimental. In other words, you experience it. It's real, tangible. There's the bondage, the misery, and the death. And it's judicial, the judgment and the wrath of God. What is true of the dark world is also true of every life apart from the light of Christ. Praise God that there is light into the darkness. We often refer to the kingdom of Satan as the kingdom of darkness as contrasted to the kingdom of Christ, which is the kingdom of light. There's these contrasts set apart one from the other. Where did this moral darkness come from? It came into the world with the rebellion of Adam and Eve. I'm not saying it originated. It originated with Satan. But it came into the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden, in the presence of God who is light. When they had all the blessings all around them, and they were driven out from the presence of the Lord God, and away from his brilliant light, for God is pure light. And as David says in Psalm 36, in your light we see light. So great is the light of God. The evidence of this darkness of sin in the heart of man was evident when Adam's firstborn son rose up and murdered his brother Abel. Let's consider these things. My dear friends, we must all know that if we do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have darkness within, darkness in the soul. Even the world around us, we, we interpret it as though we're through dark glasses. We don't understand and comprehend things because we don't have the light of Christ. Children, it's why you fight with your brothers and sisters. It's because there's darkness Within your soul. That's why you don't want to obey your parents, is because of darkness. Darkness is sin. It's why you lie. It's why you steal. It's why older teens hide the smartphone from their parents or delete their browser history. We like the darkness. It's why there's arguments about bedtimes and curfews and what clothes are appropriate. We need someone to deal with the darkness the very real darkness that is within us as well as around us. Isaiah speaks of that one again back in chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness, that's what we're talking about. All around us in the world since the fall of Adam and Eve, there's this darkness. And the prophet speaks of hope. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Isaiah is speaking of this moment. Christ, the light, who came into the world, shining forth 
with truth and brilliance, holiness and goodness. Which brings us to our next point, Jesus' declaration. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In the prologue, those first verses of John chapter 1, we saw John the Apostle present Jesus as the Word of God, as being God, God the Creator, and then he said he was life and light. You remember when we began, I said these are themes that we will deal with throughout the course of John's Gospel, that Christ is life and light. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, as he is, his tongue is loosed once more, by the Holy Spirit, he prophesies, and he prophesies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the light and the purpose for his coming. If you look back at Luke 1, 78, some of you might remember this from when Tony preached through Luke, but in Psalm 78, uh, Zechariah prophesying of the one who his son goes before to announce to the nation, he's speaking of Christ, he says, through the tender mercy of God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You hear echoes of the passage from Isaiah 9 that we read just a moment ago. Jesus came as light into the darkness. Now, this John chapter 8, verse 12 is Jesus' second I am pronouncement. You remember back in John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Here we see Jesus declare, I am the light of the world. We will go on to, in chapter 10, we'll have two I am's. I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. And then in John 11, after uh, Lazarus has died, and right before Jesus is to resurrect him, he tells um, Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and life. And then later with the disciples in the upper room, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then a little bit later in that same discourse, I am the vine. Seven I am statements. So let's consider what is this I am that he declares. He's declaring in that that he is God. The Jews would have understood that this is echoes of when Moses was confronted in the wilderness by the bush that was burning and yet not consumed. And he turned aside to see the place and he was commanded to take off his sandals because he was on holy ground because God was there. It would have been God the Son. Christ, even before his incarnation, that he would have been seen and dialoguing with. And God commissioned him to go to Egypt, to bring his people out, to lead them out, to deliver them. Moses, a type of Christ, as the scripture makes so clear. But in that moment, Moses asked him, who shall I tell the people sent me? That's a very valid question. Who should I say sent me? And God answers him, I am. I am that I am. That is his self-existence. God transcends, exceeds all things, is before all things. God is not dependent on anything. I am. And Jesus takes that as his own because he is God. But God in the flesh. God incarnate. God come into the world to save sinners. It's in this situation that Jesus spoke. What was the situation? We've just seen the darkness of the situation. There was the wicked men who brought the woman, a a trap prepared to ensnare Christ uh, in their wicked devices. You remember last week when I said that the wickedness, the greater wickedness was that of those religious leaders 
who sought to undermine and overthrow the Lord of glory. Their darkness was on evidence. And indeed, yes, the darkness of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. So much darkness in the hearts of the sinners. Jesus speaks in that environment, I am the light of the world. But Jesus also spoke these words immediately after the tabernacle of I'm sorry, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he spoke in the court of the woman. That's, that's where he's at. That's where they brought this. And there he speaks, I am the light of the world. And there's significance because during the Feast of the Tabernacles, in the court of the women, there were four large candelabras that were set, each with four bowls upon them, large bowls that would be filled with oil. And on the first night of the feast, they would be lit uh, Tradition and, and records uh, holds that those, they burned throughout the course of the week of the Feast of Tabernacles, which therefore was also called the Feast of Lights. Many Jews today still consider it that way. But these bowls burned with such a brightness that you could see them throughout the city. As you approached Jerusalem, which was set upon the hill in the tabernacle on, or the temple on that highest point, you could see these lights burning forth in their radiance. Why the lights? Remember what the Feast of Tabernacles was about? What what was the Feast of Booths? Because it reminded the people that they were once dwellers in a wilderness land where they had their tents, their booths that they picked up and carried and moved from place to place. It was a time to remember God's faithfulness and deliverance to bring them out of Egypt even into the land of promise. Forty years they wanted because of their rebellion and their sin, and yet God still brought them in. God was faithful. And as they went... There was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God's presence with his people was manifested with a brilliant light. And the temple was lit up with lights to remind them of that reality that God led them. Because the pillar would rise up when they were to rise up and move forward. And it would stop and settle down. And during the day it was a cloud over them to provide shade from the the sun in that blistering place. And at night not only was there a big night light in camp for the everyone, children, if you think of it that way. But there was also a, a, some warmth for those in a desert region. And of course, all these things point to Christ. All the feasts point to Christ. The, the feast, uh, the, the, uh, the Passover pointed to Christ with the lamb. The, the feast of the tabernacles points to Christ as well. Just as the bread that we saw in the earlier chapter, the manna that was given by God to the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness, pointed to Christ. And the rock that was open when Moses struck it and poured forth living water, that was a picture of Christ. And so it was that they came out of Egypt, out of a place of great darkness. Spiritual and moral darkness was in the land of Egypt, a picture also of sin. Spared from the death Prayer spared from death on the night when the death angel went throughout the camp. All those who were in the house where the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and the lantel, they were preserved, pointing to Christ, the blood, the lamb, pointing to Christ, who's the blood alone can cleanse the sinner. Well, it's into our darkness as well that Jesus still speaks these words. When he says, I am the light of the world, we are surrounded by darkness. Um, some of us are older. Uh, We've seen a lot of things in the course of uh, the history of our nation. It is our nation. It is where we live. Um, Sometimes we lose sight of the facts. We're pilgrims. This is not our home. 
We're on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city whose builder is God. And we've seen events unfolding, and we see uh, darkness around us. We cannot deny it. But also, when we're honest, there's a darkness in our own soul if we do not have Jesus. There's a darkness there. We don't understand our sin. We don't understand our plight. We do not understand our peril and the wrath of God. We don't even comprehend the, the, the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need light. And God has sent his son as the light of the world. And Jesus still declares to those who would hear him, I am the light of the world. world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Many in that day, the day when Jesus was speaking, they were eager to celebrate the feast. They looked forward to him. I, I told you as we were beginning looking at the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was, it was one of the great feasts. It was one of the greatest celebrations. Uh, those who were scattered out in the, across the Roman Empire, they might make it a point to make sure to come to one of the feasts, and this is the one that they most often chose because it was such a festive time. The people of that day, they loved ritual. They loved traditions. But so often they missed the one to which all those things pointed to. Even as he was in the temple speaking to them words of life. They missed him. They'd come. They'd celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles. They were packing up their kit. They were going away. Even as the light of the world was in their midst. Sadly, in evangelicalism today, many have lost sight of Christ. Professing Christians, churches uh, that have watered down the gospel to where it is no gospel at all. All that is left is traditions and empty rituals, and they're adding to that. Is is it any surprise that we see so-called evangelical churches borrowing from Roman Catholicism, taking up Ash Wednesday and Lent and Mosnay Thursday, Good Friday, Pentecost, and Advent? There's no warrant for any of these things in Scripture. And yet when you abandon the gospel, when the light that is Christ is gone from your message and the centrality of your ministry and the purpose of your congregation, then you will turn to traditions even as Israel did. They made much of the feast and they missed the Savior. And that's happening again today. There's darkness today. We need the light of Christ to shine abroad For without Christ in the pure gospel, all that is left is an empty shell. Christ is the substance. But here's the good news. Jesus is still the light of the world. He's still the one sent from the Father. He is the one who came in the flesh. God come in the flesh to save sinners. He is the one who lived obediently before God, keeping all his commandments. We speak of his active obedience But he was also the one who went to the cross, laying down his life to be the sacrifice for sins. Because it was not possible that the grave should hold him because he was God come in the flesh. He rose again on the first day of the week, victorious, triumphing over sin, death, and the grave, crushing the serpent's head, though bruised in his heel. Jesus Christ is the light of the world who makes these things known and invites sinners to come to him. I am the light of the world. Follow me, he says. That brings us to Jesus' great invitation. John has prepared us for this. If you turn back a couple of pages to John chapter 3, maybe it's more than a couple pages, but turn back a little bit to John chapter 3. Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone who everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, here is the looking forward. I mean, we're already hearing about the light that is Christ. Looking forward to Christ's announcement that he is the light. But here John is recording that there's a, a difference in men. Those who love darkness don't come to the light. They love their deeds for they're done in darkness, as we were saying in the opening of the sermon, because the light exposes those deeds. But you see, that's the goodness of God in the gospel, even his law, that we understand our sinfulness. We're made aware of our need. And it is in this context that Jesus gives this invitation to come. When Jesus made the I am statement, I am the bread of life, he also gave an invitation and a promise. Look at John 6, 35. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, that's an invitation, shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. See, there's an invitation and a promise to those who come. What a glorious truth. The Son of God, the Son of glory says, if you come to me, I will not cast you out. There's a marvelous uh, a Puritan paperback banner, Truth Published, on John 6.37. The title of it is so wonderful. Welcome to Jesus. Indeed, Jesus welcomes us to come. A promise, an invitation. But if you turn over to John 7.37, this is not an, an I am statement. But it echoes that he's the living water, John seven thirty seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He's there at the feast. He speaks out in the tabernacle. He, I mean the temple. He, he shouts. He cries out aloud. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then the promise, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Bread, water, life is in view here. And once again in John 8, in verse 12, Jesus makes an invitation. I am the light of the world. He who follows me, there's the invitation to follow. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. What a promise. But have the light of life. Coming to Christ results in life. Each of these promises, invitations or promises, what is, what's on the end of it? It's life. Life in Christ. Life for those who would come. The invitation is to come and follow. But you must come if you're going to follow. You must first come to Christ in order to follow him. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus lists uh, commandments from the law. And he says, well, I've kept these from my youth. Presumptuous, yes, to be sure. And Jesus presses further. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. In order for that man to do that, there had to be a fundamental transformation, a God-wrought transformation of his heart, that he would abandon the things of this world, that he would be willing to let go of them, to have Christ, to cleave to Christ, to come and to follow him. And Jesus said, in so doing, you would have eternal life. You see, Jesus, as the light drives out the darkness, not only that, he washes 
away our sins, though they be as crimson. With his blood, he washes our heart as white as the driven snow. And we stand before God, declared righteous, accepted in our beloved, complete. Christ does this. It's accomplished by the working of his Holy Spirit. I want to just consider a little bit this word follow. What is it to follow? That's what Jesus is talking about. You, to, you must follow me. What is it? The word's used in the Greek New Testament is in a couple of ways. It's used when a soldier is given a command by his commander, that he follows the command. He obeys the command. And in a very similar, way, it's when the ma- similar manner, it's when the master speaks to the slave, and the master follows the command. He obeys his master. So fundamentally, to follow Jesus is to obey Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. If any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Very similar to what Jesus told the rich young ruler. It's abandoning all and following Christ, coming to him. It's the daily dying to self. Romans 8, 13, if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. That's what Jesus is talking about. By the working of the spirit, you deny the cravings of your flesh. You put them to death. That is to follow Christ. And so the way is forward. And yet the way forward is uncharted, isn't it? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about not to give any thought for tomorrow. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? We have many cares in this world, and we don't know what's in the future. We, you, know, you talk to young people, and they want to, well, who should I marry? How will I know who should I marry? What, what college should I go to? What vocation should I pursue? Should I take this job or that job? We all have questions like this, and these are important questions. And we can look to the Lord for the answer through prayer and trust in his providence to open doors and close others. But first and foremost, we must learn to live for Christ. God has revealed his way in his word. David celebrates in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We want to know how to walk. We, we need to know the word. We need to be grounded in the word. We need to be under the preaching of the word. And the Lord will teach us how to live. As I said earlier, our Father has rules for his household, and they're here in the Word. What about the practical stuff in life under the sun, as Solomon says? Well, Jesus addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? I was just referring to, you know, we were concerned about, he says, you're anxious about many things. What shall I eat? What shall I wear? But he says in that context, seek ye first the kingdom. And it's righteousness. Make that your focus. The spiritual aspects of life. To follow Christ. And these other things will be added unto you. God will take care of you. He will provide for you. Seek ye first the kingdom. As the sons of Abraham left Egypt to go to the promised land, they didn't know the way. But God was with them to lead the way. Even Christ in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And they had needs. They needed water. They needed bread. They needed light. They needed shelter. They needed a shepherd. Did God provide all those things? Yes, he did. And we're even seeing here in John's gospel how all those things are fulfilled in Christ and point to him. He was the living rock. He was the manna from heaven. He was the pillar. And in Moses we see him typified as the good shepherd. As we conclude, we must note that There's a distinction here. 
not all follow Christ. Not all are willing to come to the light. The promise is to the ones that do come to Jesus and follow him. Therefore, it is clear that some remain in the darkness. And how great is that darkness? When I was deep in Mammoth Cave and the lights were turned out, it was so dark. I said earlier, you could feel it pressing in upon you. Can you imagine trying to find your way out of there? If you meditate, I was thinking about that as I was preparing it and chose to use this for illustrative content. Because I walked down into that place. Without light, I can say with confidence it would be impossible to find your way out of there. There are places to fall off the edge. So you start following a path, you find a guardrail, and you start following the handrail, and you're following along, and, and you go along, and then there's a fork in the path, and, and you go around in the dark. Are you going in circles? Are you going down deeper? Are you going up? How would you find your way? There's no way. You'd run out of food and water if you even had brought any with you in the first place. We didn't. But we had to park ranger, and he knew where the light switches were. And with the light, we came out. That's what Christ is offering to us. He says, I'm a guide. I'm the light. I know the way. Even as we have that powerful picture in the book of Exodus, God went before them. And his promises to us in our day, we're, we're not wandering in the wilderness, although you know, pretty much around us is a great wasteland morally, but God is with us. And he leads us and he directs us. He guides for us. He provides for us as we go along. My friends, if you are in darkness, you will not find the way. But Jesus stands and invites those in darkness. He says, I'm the light of the world. Follow me. I will be the light of life for you. Come to Jesus, and he will lead you onward and upward to glory. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. So we've only looked at one verse. We have only even touched the surface, really, the great depth and the wonder of the promises that are in it. Father, we thank you that Christ is the light. He is the light that we need. We thank you, Lord, that he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's not going to leave us in this dark place without light. For his promise, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we, we flounder, we stumble. Yes, we sin. We despair and we become discouraged, and yet, Lord, give us eyes to look to Christ. You came into the world to save us, but not only to save us, but to keep us. And not only to save and keep us, but to bring us home to heaven, that, that where he is, there we may be also. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.